You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, Chapter 40, let's back up one verse to the last verse of chapter 39, verse 23. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Why? Well, because Joseph was trustworthy and dependable, and he had proven himself, and everything that he touches is thriving. Why? Well, it says because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And we finished off there last week looking at the Psalm 1 man, right, who meditates in God's word day and night and how God is blessing him. Chapter 40, so it came to pass after these things, or in other words, after some time had gone by, um, that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Here we see this butler, it's actually the chief butler and the chief baker. Uh, The butler could be translated uh, cup bearer. Uh, These were high-ranking executive roles in Egypt. These were government officials who sat and served the king, Pharaoh. Uh, A cupbearer was super important in that day. Not only was he an advisor, it wasn't just a guy who like was, had a good palate, like he could, no, no. It was more than that. He was an advisor to the Pharaoh. He was a political officer, if you will. And his job was also critical because in that days it was easy to take out a king or a Pharaoh with just a little bit of poison. And so he would taste all of the king's food. And the king would wait, like the cupbearer would eat and drink uh, about an hour before the king's meal. And if he's still alive, it's like, okay, let's have dinner, right? Uh, So that was the role. Um, And we read here that this butler and the baker, the king of of the king of Egypt, uh, they had offended their lord, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh. Uh, How did they offend him? Well, I don't know if they burnt the biscuits or... Maybe they, uh, Pharaoh thought they were trying to do a coup to do something. Uh, something happened and they, offend, they offended him. Uh, verse 2, Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. Here we see there's multiple butlers and, and bakers and, and, and they are the chief. Uh, verse 3, so he, that's the Pharaoh, put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. And notice this, circle these words, and he served them. Who's he? Joseph. He's in charge of them, and what is he doing? Serving them. And so they were in custody for a while. Uh, This wasn't an overnight thing, by the way. And over the process of time, verse 5, the butler 
and the baker of the king of Egypt, <clears throat> who were, con- excuse me, <clears throat> who were confined in prison, had a dream. Both of them had a dream. Each man's dream in one night. In other words, on the exact same night, each of them, the butler and the and the uh, the cupbearer and the baker, they each had a dream. They each had a separate dream, and they both had it on the same night. Where do you think that dream came from? From God. Isn't it interesting that even though they're pagans, they're not believers, they're worshiping all the pantheon of Egypt, these false gods, God can still speak to anyone he chooses, right? And he gives them a dream. Uh, It says each man's dream with its own interpretation. It means that each dream had a different meaning. Verse 6, and Joseph came into them in the morning and he looked at them. And he saw that they were sad. I'd like to pause there for a moment. He noticed they were sad. Why were they sad? Well, they were very troubled over this dream. This was a troubling dream to them. But Joseph noticed. And that reveals something to us about the kind of man that Joseph is. Uh, If you had a coworker who was sad, would you notice? If you had a neighbor who was sad, would you even notice? How prone we are to just go through and to not even look in the face and the eye. And here we see of Joseph, he was one that actually knew them. He knew them so well that he could tell they had a tough dream last night. And it reveals a lot about the character of Joseph in this, right? Um, Verse 7. So we asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we've each had a dream and man, it was a doozy. It scared the snot out of us. Uh, Loose paraphrase, uh, right? Uh, We have each had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. In other words, they're saying we have no idea what it means. Uh, And yet it it really uh, shook us. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Here I find this very interesting. They are in a pagan land. They are in a land where there are uh, magi or magicians who are spiritual soothsayers who proclaim that they understand dreams and visions. Uh, There is an occultic realm uh, to Egypt, and uh, uh, there is a lot of belief in all of these kind of things. And here Joseph comes along speaking to pagans and says, hey, I want you to know uh, the interpretation does not belong to the Pharaoh. And the interpretation does not belong to all these magi. The interpretation does not belong to all these soothsayers. The interpretation does not belong to your pantheon of gods. The interpretation belongs to who? The one true living God. And here, even in prison, Joseph, a faithful witness. And he says, hey, tell me the dream, please. Verse 9. So the chief butler goes first. That's the cupbearer. He told his dream to Joseph. And he said to him, behold, here's my dream. Uh, There was a vine that was before me. And in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded. 
its blossoms shot forth. And its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. So you know how dreams sometimes don't make sense? Uh, that was one of these dreams. He has this dream and there's this vine. And in this vine, three branches shoot out instantly. <laughs> Grow fast. Not only do these three branches shoot out, but they start to bloom. <laughs> little flowers come on them. Not only do little flowers come on, but no, as soon as the flower gets there in the dream, the flower starts turning into grapes, big ripe grapes right in front of him. And he's like, wow, wild, right? And it brings forth these clusters into ripe grapes, fully ripe. Verse 11, then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And that was my dream. Uh, if you're Joseph, what in the world do you do with that? I mean, like, good luck. Uh, uh, did you have pizza last night? Uh, like, uh, what do you say, right? But notice what happens, verse 12. And Joseph, without hesitation, he says to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches, well, they represent three days. Now, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. You're going to be a high-ranking government official again in three days. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. Uh, amazing. Here on the spot, Joseph is given divine wisdom from God to understand this dream. Uh, and notice what he says. Verse 14 but remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh to get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen or I was abducted or I was kidnapped away from the land of the Hebrews. And I have done nothing I, that I should be brought here to be put into this dungeon. Uh, I've been sold as a slave. I've been kidnapped and I've been uh, false, you know, falsely accused. I haven't done anything wrong. And here we see Joseph so sure of this interpretation that has been given to him by God that he says, hey, I see God moving in this. And I think this is how God is going to get me out of prison. And hey, when you go back in three days... That's not a Nostradamus kind of interpretation. That's like putting your life on the line, right? Three days, this is going to happen. Uh, remember me and get me out of here uh, because I'm an innocent man. Uh, powerful things that we see here. Again, uh, this cupbearer, this uh, butler, these are important, this baker, these are important executive roles. And here we see some interesting things that, that Joseph is seeing in this. Like God gives him this, this uh, vision and, and he uh, believes that God is in all this. And, but we see some interesting things. I asked you to circle some words. Verse 4 says that during all these years when this was going on, uh, what was Joseph doing? Uh, what did you circle? What was he doing? What does it say? He was serving them. He was over them, and yet he was serving them. 
This is the character of God's man. This is what God wants us to do. I want you to know God gives you different gifts and abilities and different talents, and he wants you to use them, not to say, look how amazing I am, and why don't you all serve me? I'm the one in charge. Where is my cup of coffee? That is the world's view of leadership. But here we see what God's kingdom looks like. Even though Joseph was over them, what is Joseph doing? Serving them. Very interesting. And here we learn through Joseph the values of God's kingdom. For even Jesus would say, for the Son of Man, the Messiah himself, God in human form, did not come to be served, but to what? but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the quality, this is the character that God wants to build in us. And what we will find is that life is just more rewarding when we are serving others than when we are getting others to serve us. You get others to serve you and you'll be pretty miserable. Oh, this isn't good enough. Send it back. Bring me another Oh, peasant, this doesn't qualify. Bring me another, right? Uh, that will be our mindset. But when we serve others, we are now beginning to reflect the very character and nature of God. And that is his work in, his, in, in our lives. I want you to know, here we see through the life of Joseph, the importance of being faithful in the small things. Joseph is in prison. And he's being faithful in the small things. How so? He's serving. He's caring. He's loving. He notices what they look like. He knows them personally. He's loving uh, those that he's in charge of, those that he has authority over. He can even tell when they're having a bad day. In other words, he cares for them. And he's serving them. God is going to use Joseph's life in powerful ways. As I mentioned, he is going to be a world leader. He is going to sit at the right hand of the most powerful nation on the earth. God is going to use him to save hundreds of thousands of lives from death through starvation from a severe famine that is coming, uh, we'll read in, in future weeks. He will save his own family, the nation Israel, from starva starvation. His life will glorify Jesus and reveal Jesus' ministry in ways that he knows no, no concept that God is using him in these ways. God is going to use his life in powerful ways. But in order for that to happen, God has to first build his man, a man who is faithful in the small things. This is God's work. I want you to know God wants to use your life in powerful ways as well. This isn't just true for Joseph. God wants to use your life in powerful ways. How many of you would like to have your life be used powerfully by God? I'm serious. By a show of hands, how many of you? If your hand isn't up, uh, you're insane. I still love you, but you're insane. I mean, who would not want a life used powerfully by God? 
And I'm very thankful that I saw every hand virtually up, right? Uh, Yeah, we all want that. And it's encouraging to know, isn't it, that the creator wants to use our lives in powerful ways. He knows what he's going to do in Joseph's life, that he's raising him up to be this right hand of the most powerful nation on the earth. Joseph has no idea, but God says, oh man, I got plans for your life. I'm going to use you in powerful ways. And God has plans for your life to use your life in powerful ways as well. However, this is interesting. Most people do not live with and do not have powerfully used lives by God. Why is that? Most people live largely insignificant lives. Well, why is that? How then do we allow God to use our lives in powerful ways? And why do so many of us miss that? Well, the answer is so simple that we dismiss it as, excuse me, I preached too loud at first service apparently. The answer is so simple that we often reduce it as just minutia and insignificance. The answer is be faithful in what? In the small things. Uh, I want you to, uh, in a unified, thundering voice, because I want this written on your heart. I want you to really understand this. Uh, Let me hear you read this. Uh, The importance of, let me hear you. No, no, let's all do it together. Ready? The importance. Ah, beautiful. Really well done. Uh, I want you to know something. Think of this. They were in custody for a while. Joseph went into, uh, was sold as a slave in Egypt at 17 years of age. We know that he will sit at the right hand and be brought into a position of power at 30 years of age. So if you are a uh, mathematician, let's do the math. 30 minus 17 is what? 13 years he's been waiting. 13 years. We happen to know that Joseph right now in chapter 40 is 28 years old. You say, how do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us. Uh, Take a look at a couple of verses. Uh, Genesis 41, 46. Let me hear you read this. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So that we know. Uh, Let's go on to the next slide. Genesis 40, 23 says... The chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river, and they call for Joseph. So we know it was two years after Joseph interprets this dream before he gets called to the Pharaoh. So Joseph is 28 years old. So what does that reveal? Well, that reveals that from 17 to 28, from 28 to 30, Joseph is being faithful in the small things. That is 13 years of being a servant in Potiphar's house, falsely accused, in prison, and Joseph is being faithful in the small things. Very significant. Uh, it seems like a blip when we read it, right? Like we read chapter 38, 39, 40, and we go, oh, well, that was, look what happened in Joseph's life. No, 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 that was 13 years, man. And 
what is Joseph doing? Why he's waiting every day in prison? Well, he's growing spiritually. He's growing in character. How? How's all this happening? By being faithful in the small things. This is how God builds his man. Most of us would love to see God use our lives powerfully. How many of you would give of your time, of your talents, of your treasure, of all your resources to be powerfully used by God? How many of you would give like a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort to bring President Joe Biden into salvation to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? How many of you would give a lot for that? Can I raise everything I got? I mean, <laughs> yeah. How many of you would really give a lot of yourself to bring health and righteousness back into this nation? Oh, man, I'd give a lot for that. Man, I would give everything for that. That would be amazing. Uh, it's interesting that we would give everything to have that happen. But we won't pray for the salvation of our president. We won't be faithful in the small things. We won't speak out against something when we see an injustice. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we won't tell a neighbor about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We won't do a family Bible study with our own spouse and our own children. Uh, we all want to do great things. We want God to use our life powerfully. And here is the secret, if you will. It's no secret. Uh, but here is what is often reduced to, uh, uh, just ignored and, and viewed as minutia. The importance of being faithful in what? The small things. Joseph is. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000, do you remember? With just a few fish and just a few loaves. And it was amazing. I mean, it, it blew everybody away. After Jesus fed 5,000, there were many people who came to Jesus and they asked this question. That was incredible. A free meal out of thin air. Oh, I got a water bottle. <laughs> Did JC bring that up there when I wasn't looking? Uh, Jordan. Jordan, oh, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm in trouble because you're all laughing and I didn't hear what he said. So I don't know. I'm in the dark. The uh, <laughs> cupbearer. The cupbearer. Oh, okay. <laughs> thank you very much, cupbearer. Uh, <laughs> so Jesus feeds 5,000 out of thin air. And <clears throat> a lot of people came to Jesus with a question. And you know what the question was? What must we do to do those mighty works of God? We'd love to do mighty works like that. What do we have to do to do those mighty works of God? And do you remember Jesus' answer? This is the work of God, that you would believe in the Messiah, who I am, who God sent. This is the mighty work of God. 
You say, I don't understand. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. That if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he loves you so much that he gave his life as a ransom for your redemption so that you could enter into a fellowship with him as your Lord and Savior and that he would give you brand new life to the glory of God, you would pray for your president. And you would speak against the injustices that are before you. And you would be faithful in the what? You see, there is no big work to God. And I have learned in life some of that wisdom that God has revealed uh, that in, in my life, there really are no big steps, just small steps done faithfully. I learned it in business. There's no secret lever. Man, you just pull this lever and it's like the secret trick. No, there's no secret lever. Be faithful in the small things, Jesus said, and I'll make you ruler over many things. Uh, what, what is God looking for? God is looking for someone uh, who, like what he's doing in Joseph's life, well, I need you to be faithful in these small things because if you're faithful in these small things, well, you'll be faithful in the big things. I know that a lot of us think that, uh, hey, I'll be faithful in the big things. Uh, uh, and we underestimate uh, the power of being faithful in the small things. We underestimate the power of reading our Bible daily to receive wisdom and discernment and what God will do with that if we do. To actually study it, not just like uh, my verse of the day and no, no, no. To actually study it. To pray. Uh, to serve others. To actually love our neighbor or look in the eye and know if they're having a bad day or not. To share the gospel with others. Uh, to come to the Carlsbad Unified School District on the 21st to speak out against this hypersexuality that is being forced upon our children in ungodly ways and to simply come before that school board and say, hey, we want transparency on this curriculum and on the words that are spoken to our children in counseling because nobody loves a child like a mom and dad. And we want the school to get back to teaching math and science and history and the core subjects and putting away these sexual ideologies that are being so uh, permeated upon our children's lives. Uh, we underestimate the power of stepping out faithfully in small steps uh, and watching God work. Um, <clears throat> may we not underestimate the power of being faithful in small things. Uh, it makes a difference. I am appalled at uh, the darkness that is happening in our country. Uh, have you seen what is happening with the Dodgers? How many of you have seen, by show of hands, what is happening with the Dodgers? Looks like maybe half. Uh, the Dodgers have brought in a special guest. Uh, they're called the Sisters of... Per perpetual sin, I think. Is that right? Uh, sisters of perpetual indulgence. Uh, what they are is transgendered men dressing as women, dressing as nuns, mocking the Christian faith. Uh, they put Jesus on a cross uh, and sexualize him uh, with pictures that I cannot show you in this congregation. 
they say vile, blasphemous things that are so blasphemous I can't even believe it. And the Dodgers are bringing them back. Go ahead and put that picture up, the one I can show you. The Dodgers are bringing them back, uh, not this Friday, but next Friday, as their special honored guests. I'm not making any of this up. They are downright blaspheming Jesus. And I wonder how many Christians are at that Dodger game. And why are you not faithful in the small things? Why do you not stand up and overturn tables? And walk out and protest and make some noise because of the blasphemy. We need to be faithful in small things. Not only are these sisters of perpetual indulgence or whatever their blasphemous name is, uh, not only are they honored guests, but they are return guests. And for a moment, there was a little bit of a, a noise, a little bit of a feedback, and the Dodgers said, maybe we shouldn't do this. And you know what happened? The LGBTQ community shouted so loudly that they said, okay, just kidding, we'll do it again. And they're bringing them on as they're Distinguished guests. Wow. Not this Friday, but next Friday at the Dodger game. They're honoring, they're honoring them, exactly. They're honoring them. Not only that, but they are going to be honored, the sisters of and perpetual and whatever it is, uh, uh, sisters of blasphemy. Uh, they're going to be honored on the Senate floor. What? It's time to wake up. They're going to be honored on the Senate floor. I want you to know, veterans are not honored on the Senate floor. Uh, it is time for us to be faithful in the small things. Uh, interesting, by the way, uh, these sisters of perpetual indulgence or whatever it is, uh, why do they blaspheme Jesus? Why do they not blaspheme Islam? Here's why. Because Muslims would kill them. And they know it. And there's two reasons they don't blaspheme Islam. Number one, they'd be killed. Number two, they're playing on the same team. You see, Islam and the sisters of perpetual sin, indulgence, whatever, are all just, it's all just doctrines of demons. There is a name above all names. There is a king above all kings. And is that name that is hated by sinners. Uh, and it is time for God's people to be faithful in the small things. Uh, whatever happened to inclusion and, and acceptance? Uh, why, why are we so concerned about a transgender's rights and yet we have no problem offending every Christian in the world? Right? Uh, we can see that this really isn't about DEI. This isn't about an agenda. And it has anything to do, uh, anything, uh, everything to do uh, with uh, sexual perversion and nothing to do with equality. Uh, may we be wise. Uh, we are prone to think, God, all be faithful in the big things. I may not be faithful in the little things, but I'll be faithful in the big things, God. Can I tell you something? Jesus said that's not true. Jesus said, you're wrong. Jesus made it very clear. Uh, take a look at this verse, Luke. Um, 
chapter 16, verse 10. He who is faithful, read it with me, church. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Here we see the same God, the same values, the importance of being faithful in the small things. Jesus said, if you're not faithful in the big things, small things, you won't be faithful in the big things. Do you know what the next verse after that says? Uh, when Jesus said that he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. He who is unjust in little uh, will be unjust in much. Uh, you know what he said after this? This is verbatim. He says, if you are not faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And you say, wow, what does that mean? Unrighteous mammon, what is that? Well, mammon means money, and unrighteous means filthy. Uh, loose paraphrase, here's what Jesus is saying. If you cannot be trusted with filthy money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Or another paraphrase, if you are not faithful with unrighteous money, who will give you the Holy Spirit? Who will give you wisdom and discernment? Who will give you power and influence to be a builder of God's kingdom if you're not faithful in unrighteous money? What is God saying? What is Jesus saying? The small things matter. What am I looking for? Well, I'm looking for men, women who are faithful in the small things. Do you know why? Because there are no big things to God. God already knows the work he wants to do. God is already raising up Joseph, right? Uh, he already knows how he wants to use him. And what is he looking for? Someone who, who can be faithful in the small things. You see, God builds us when we are faithful in the small things. And he increases our capacity. He increases our gifting. He increases our wisdom, our discernment, our abilities. Notice what God does. God gifts uh, Joseph, on the spot, this baker, this cupbearer, uh, they had troubling dreams. And God, on the spot, grants Joseph with wisdom and divine insight to speak truth into others' lives, all to the glory of God. And why did God do that for Joseph? Tell me why, church. I'm so glad you said that. If you didn't, I was going to walk off the stage. <laughs> because he's faithful in the small things. Nothing special about Joseph. He believes God. And he's faithful in the small things. And God is going to pour wisdom and divine insight in him. Why? So he can be a leader. Why? Uh, so he can be the most powerful man in the, nation, in the nation. Yeah, but that's not why. So that he might serve others as faithfully as he did when he was in prison. And if you'll serve people in prison, then I can make you a leader of a nation. And if you'll serve people when it doesn't matter, well, then you'll serve people when it does matter. Because in God's mind, it always matters. Uh, this is God's way. This is God's work in Joseph's life. This is how he builds his man. That's why we've titled the study for the last three weeks, the man God builds, right? Uh, this is how he does it. God is making Joseph wise, a builder of men, an effective leader, a man who, even though he doesn't know what's happening, his life is revealing and glorifying Jesus Christ in ways that he knows nothing of. And this is what God wants to do in our lives. 
in our men's ministry, we have a men's ministry manifesto here at the Mission Church. And it's crystal clear what we're all about as men men of God. Uh, Number one, that we would be men who live to embrace the call of God upon our life. That we believe that God actually uh, created us and wants to have a relationship with us and gave Jesus came to the earth for that purpose and, and he wants to have a relationship with us. And secondly, uh, number one, that we be men to, that live to embrace this call of God on our life, this fellowship with God. Number two, that we would be builders of other men. That God wants to pour into us, not so we could elevate ourselves, but so that we might elevate others and build them up. And number three, that our lives would reveal the lordship of Jesus Christ by our actions, by the wisdom and discernment that God poured into us, by the way that we serve others. They're like, wow, I mean, uh, your life reflects Christ. Uh, And man, that's amazing living right there. That's abundant living. Uh, Be faithful in the small things and God will build us up. He will give you wisdom and discernment and do an amazing work in your life. This is what God wants to do. Notice how the Bible says this. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, an amazing chapter on uh, wisdom. Um, Let me hear you read this. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Let's look at a couple things here. The first thing we see is it's the Lord Yahweh, God personally. God personally gives wisdom from his mouth. I love this verse for that reason. That means that God wants to speak to me, speak to you personally, by his spirit, directly from him to you, from his word to your heart. Intimacy with God gives wisdom from his mouth, gives knowledge, gives understanding, gives discernment. They're all synonyms uh, where you can look at any situation. You can just say, man, I know what to do. I know what God's will is on that matter. Notice the next verb. What's the next verb there in verse 7? What's the next verb? He stores up. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Stores up, that means that there is a surplus. It's not enough wisdom for you to get by today. It's enough wisdom for you and for the chief baker and for the butler and for your 14 year old daughter and for your coworker and for your spouse and for your neighbor who's having a bad day. Where you can come up and you can bring wisdom. And radiant light to the surface to build them and to strengthen them. And the third thing he says is he is a shield. A shield represents what? Divine protection on my life, on your life. You know how many people hate me and want to kill me? There's a few. <laughs> I've had quite a few threats in the last few weeks. Uh, divine protection. You don't have to defend yourself when people accuse you. Why? Because you have a shield. And if you try to defend yourself, you're saying, I don't need that shield. Let God be your shield, right? Uh, this, is a, this is what he does. This is who he is. This is how he works. Now, uh, Joseph, faithful in a few things, divine wisdom to be a builder of the baker when he comes to him, right? Uh, 
Uh, just amazing. Excuse me, the butler, when he comes to him. And the butler is thrilled, the cupbearer, he's thrilled with Joseph's interpretation. What's the interpretation? Three days, man, you're going to be back as a, in the White House, right? Three days, right? Uh, and so the baker gets confident. He goes, man, I love that interpretation. You're a wise man. Uh, so the baker now brings the dream. Look at verse 16. Are you with me? When the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, and it was good, he said to Joseph, I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. Right? You can hear the tenor of his voice. He's like stoked. And he tells him the dream. There were three white baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket that was on my head. And that was the end of my dream. And Joseph answered and said, you poor man. He said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh while you're hanging on the tree. They'll eat your flesh from you. Sounds like a Stephen King book, man. I mean, like, oh my gosh, how horrible. Now, the cupbearer, he's stoked the next three days. But how about this poor baker? What are the next three days like for him? Oh my gosh, can't even imagine. And here we find something significant that we need to look at. I hope you saw it. Did you see it? This... How easy would it have been to give this message to this baker? How easy? It would have been hard. It was really fun bringing the message to the cupbearer. Oh, man, that was great. But this would be hard to say. And here we learn something, don't we? We learn that we must proclaim the whole counsel of God's word. Not just the parts that we like. Not just the things that we pick and choose, our favorite verses. No, we need to proclaim the whole counsel of God's word. And as I read this, I thought, I couldn't help but wonder, I wonder how Joel Osteen would have handled this situation. As the baker brought him his dream. Well, Joel would have said, well, it's no problem. You're just going to live your best life now. And God wants you to be happy. That's a lie. That's a lie. And God's man, God's woman has to stand and say difficult things. I want you to know in the United States of America, we have now built something. We have all these feel good churches that are telling half-truths. And a half-truth is a full-blown lie that will deceive people and ruin their lives. God loves everyone, they say, 
And they do not speak about sin, about holiness, about repentance, and about the wrath of God that will be poured out upon sinners who reject his provision of salvation, his son, Jesus Christ. And they say that God just loves everybody and everything's okay. And I want you to know their sermons are nothing more than Sunday pep rallies, your 20-minute pep talk, and it's like they're like musicians playing songs on the Titanic after it hit the iceberg. It may entertain you, but you're dying shortly, and they're lying to you. And do you know what it is producing? It is producing a nation who calls themselves Christians, but do not stand against anything. Do not stand for anything and do not repent of their sins. Do you know what is happening in this nation? We have churches that are teaching prosperity gospels, messages of indulgence and materialism. It's sin. And we're championing it in our church. We have churches that are now flying, flying the LGBTQ flag inside the church. And pastors and priests wearing LGBT colors on their robes. And they call them LGBTQ affirming churches. The word affirming means we applaud you. And I want you to know, we are an LGBTQ welcoming church, just like we are an adulterer welcoming church, just like we are a drug addict welcoming church, just like we are a alcoholic welcoming church, but we are not a drug addict affirming church. We are not a sexually immoral moral affirming church. No, we are saying all sinners Come here and receive brand new life in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Come to Jesus. He will heal you and give you new life. And I want you to know that God loves everyone is only half of the message. Because God also hates sin. And God calls us to repent of our sins and to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. And you can see that even in our congregation, there are some who don't like this message. But it is the truth. And the church is not my church. It is Jesus' church. And the message isn't our message. It's Jesus' message. And the authority is not our authority. The authority is his authority. And we are on the wrong side of the coin if we don't deliver the whole counsel of God. Paul would say to the church, I thank God that I, delivered, I did not shun to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. And anything less is a lie. A uh, couple verses for you just to show that uh, this message, yes, God loves everyone, but God calls us uh, sinners to repent. Look what Jesus said. These are Jesus' words. Let me hear you read it. 
Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. No commentary needed. Repentance is a prerequisite of coming into the love of God. Did you hear me? Repentance is a prerequisite of entering into the family of God. There's no other way. You have to repent. The Old Testament says the same thing because it's the same God. Ezekiel 18. Take a look. Let me hear you read. I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that your iniquity will not be what? Your ruin. Your utter destruction for all eternity. Repent. Right? Rest of the verse. Cast away from you all the transgression which you have committed. And get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn from your wicked sin. Turn from it and what? And live. This is the Old Testament. And notice the powerful message. I will turn from your sin, repent of your sin, come to me. Uh, You're LGBTQ? No problem. Just come to me. Bring me your sin. Repent of it. You're an adulterer? No problem. You've cheated on your wife? No problem. Well, I don't mean that, but I mean for, for, for God, no problem. Come to me. I will heal you. But you have to repent of your sin. And notice what he says. I will give you what? A new heart and a new spirit. Or in other words, I'll make you born again. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the ways of the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what he's done for me? He's given me a desire to walk in his ways. I don't do it perfectly. I have sin that tempts me. I fall. I always get right back up and say, Lord, I desire to walk in your way, not on this path. Uh, And this is his work in our life. Tons of grace. It's amazing. Uh, uh, We have to proclaim the whole counsel of God. The the gospel message is not God loves everyone and thinks our sin is okay. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is crystal clear. God so loves man and God so hates sin that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross and to cleanse us of our sin so that we might have new life And live our lives to the obedience of the lordship of Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of his power and majesty. That is the real gospel. And uh, uh, we have have fallen. Uh, This was a difficult conversation for Joseph to have. It wasn't easy to say. And can I tell you something? Love does the hard things. And love stands when it's difficult. And in our lives and in our marriages, we must speak the truth in love. And in our workplace and in our schools and in our communities and at the Dodger game and at the coffee shop, we must speak the truth in love. And we must not shun to declare the whole counsel of God's word. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. 
Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.